Hello there and a very warm welcome to episode 29 of the Friendly Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shailat uh, and I'm delighted to say joining me is Rafael Adelupa. How are you, Rafael? I'm doing good, Neil. Um, I hope you are well. Uh, yeah, we're at that type of that time of the season where there's a lot to play for now. Every game seems to have something riding on it. So we've got quite a few things to get through and can't wait to get into it. Yep, it's a busy old episode. Of course, we're recording this on the Tuesday uh, because it was the long Easter weekend. So we had loads of matches uh, on Monday as well, which makes for a lot of stuff for us to discuss. Um, so let me quickly run you through what we've got. We've got a couple of trophies handed out. The state bunch of state championships ending in Brazil. Uh, we'll talk about some title races, especially in Europe, but a couple from elsewhere as well. Uh, of course, you know the European season is indeed coming to an end soon, so there's all sorts of stuff at all ends of the table, as Rafael mentioned. We've got some relegation battles as well. We've got uh, we've got some some big big fixtures from Wales, uh, both within the English pyramid and the Welsh top flight. Uh, we've got uh, some Scandinavian leagues to check in on. We've got two rounds of fixtures in Serie B and the English Championship uh, played over the last four days. So we have that to look back on, and we've got some managerial news as well. And of course, we will very quickly look ahead to what's coming up in midweek right at the end. So yeah, it's it's looking like a busy old episode. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. Brazil, as I said, the state championships coming to an end. Uh, I suppose the biggest final was the Fla Flu Derby, Flamengo against Fluminense. Uh, of course, that's a huge rivalry in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And that ended, uh, well, I, well, I should say, from these are two legged finals, most of them. So Flamengo had a 2 0 lead from the first leg, but Fluminense beat them 4 1 this time. Uh, for, Goals coming from Marcelo, of course, previously of Real Madrid, uh, German Cano, talismanic striker for them, and then Alexander Gomez, uh, or Alexander Gomes, uh, in the 65th minute, getting the fourth goal, which added a cushion to their aggregate lead, which proved handy when uh, Ayrton Lucas scored late, late in stoppage time for Flamengo. That's Fluminense winning back-to-back titles uh, in, in their championship. Uh, and elsewhere, we had... Uh, Agua Santa, who we mentioned last week, uh, shocking Palmeiras in the first leg, but they couldn't hold on to the lead. They went to Allianz Park and they got <laughs> rather battered. It ended only 4-0, but Palmeiras utterly dominant and the match was really, they scored thrice first anyway, but then before halftime, Agua Santa had a player sent off as well. So the match was as good as done at that point. That's where we had uh, Atletico uh, Goianese, we had Atletico Mineiro and Gremio among the other winners uh, in the Brazilian state championships. We also had a trophy handed out over in China, the Super Cup, among the start of the season there, and it was the league holders, Wuhan Three Towns, who won their first ever Chinese Super Cup uh, over there. Uh, then let's check in in Venezuela. Uh, big story probably from the weekend was Academia Puerto Cabello, dropping points for the first time in the league this season. Of course, we've been giving them a fair bit of coverage. Really interesting story. And of course, there's still comfortably first, so definitely uh, a side to keep an eye on. Um, then we had a big derby over in Portugal on Friday, uh, O Clasico, Benfica against Porto. That ended uh, 2-1 to the visitors to Porto. Uh, uh, it was a comeback win, a turnaround. Uh, Benfica scored first through uh, Gonzalo Ramos' header, which went in off the head of Diego Costa. But then Porto equalized to Matheus Uribe just before halftime. Had a goal ruled out in first half stoppage time by a six centimeter uh, offside goal, but then uh, Mehdi Taremi uh, scored earlier in the second half to cut the deficit, uh, their points deficit to the leaders Benfica to just to seven points. But we only have seven rounds of fixtures left till the end of the season, so you know the title is 
very much still uh, in Benfica's hands uh, over there. But if you want an exciting title race, then I'd say you look over at Greece, where we had the derby of the eternal enemies once again uh, this week. Uh, Panathinaikos against Olympiakos. Olympiakos, of course, managed uh, by Jose Anigo, who took over in midweek after Michel resigned on Monday, as we spoke about on Friday. And uh, it ended 2 0 to Panathinaikos. Uh, two goals in the first half, one from their striker, Andras Sporar, own goal from opposition striker, Yusvel Arabi, uh, getting the job done for them. Uh, that opens up the gap between the two sides to six points in the championship group. But Panathinaikos uh, are only level on points with IK uh, of Athens at the top. So the defending champions, Olympiakos, six points behind. But of course, these sides will be playing each other once again before the end of the season. That's how the championship group works. So well, it's it's still all to play for. But Olympiakos uh, looking under, under real threat now. Uh, I think they have a three-season streak that could well end. And Panathinaikos would win their first title uh, since, I think it's 2011, isn't it? So it's been a long time. So uh, th- that could be a huge story, but of course they do have to fight uh, 2010, sorry. And, but they do have to fight off IK as well. Uh, elsewhere, over in Belgium, we had uh, one confirmed result for the season. Uh, RFC Serang relegated after losing to Club Brugge. I think everyone predicting, predicted them to go down at the start of this season. Uh, and everyone was right. They lost and they don't look like they will be going anywhere else. Uh, but uh, elsewhere in the relegation battle, a last-minute winner for uh, Shalawa uh, meant that Zultavaragam lost yet again. Uh, and they remain in 17th spot, four points from safety because of that concession, with just two matches left. Uh, and they face 15th place Open next weekend. So that is a season-defining game, without question for them. They must win to stay alive. And even then, it's not in their hands. Uh, Ustende level on points with them uh, in 16th in the third relegation spot. They're in trouble too. But uh, elsewhere, but, uh, all, all parts of the table is really interesting in Belgium. At the top, uh, Henk are just a couple of points ahead of Union saint gilles uh, who are only three ahead of Royal Antwerp. Uh, Henk, of course, lost to Standard Liège uh, this weekend. So the title race is looking really interesting. Uh, fourth place, Henk, uh, and fifth place, Club Brugge, which is the uh, last championship playoff spot and first European playoff spot. Level on points, Stana Liège only three points behind them. But again, with a couple of matches left, they are probably out of it. Uh, and then even for the battle for uh, the European playoff, it's currently Shalowa who are eighth, but just one point ahead of Anderlecht, although they do have a game in hand. Uh, and Serkla are only three behind them. So it's it's all to play for everywhere in the table in the Belgian Pro League as we approach the last two uh, rounds of fixtures. So that's something to watch. Um, then let's quickly go over to Austria, where we had some huge, huge title race drama. Uh, first up, uh, Erbet Salzburg lost, uh, not lost, drew to Austria Wien, uh, 3-3 in a very dramatic match where I th- uh, they, th- there was some controversy over refereeing decisions, uh, mainly to do with the rule applications. Really. They took a 2-0 lead in the first half, did Erbet Salzburg goes from uh, young Israeli attacking midfielder Oscar Gluch and Benjamin Sheshko, of course, everyone has heard of, uh, giving them, uh, putting them in a comfortable position. Austria Wien pulled one back soon, uh, quickly into the second half. But then the pivotal moment came around the hour mark when uh, an Austria Wien player went down in the box. The referee saw that as simulation, gave him a second yellow card and sent him off but then went to the VR monitor to review his decision. And one would imagine that was a penalty review. But what he ended up doing is he rescinded the yellow card uh, and restarted play with a drop ball for the Salzburg goalkeeper. So he didn't overturn his decision per se. He didn't give the penalty. He just rescinded his yellow card. And, and the reason this is controversial is that technically you can only use VAR for either penalty reviews or red card reviews, our mistaken identity. Now, this was neither, uh, he, he didn't overturn his penalty decision. It was not a direct red card. Card is VR for second yellows, technically. And uh, it was not a case of mistaken identity because, it, you know, the, the guy who fell was <laughs> the guy who got the card. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think ultimately the right decision was reached and that's fine. But I think it just calls into question once again <laughs> the, the processes going on behind it because 
tech if 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 you go by the rules technically that probably shouldn't have happened unless i am misinterpreting something but that's my understanding of the situation anyway after that Austria Wien scored twice in the 77th and then the 80th minute to take a lead uh, and, and as things stood Salzburg uh, spot at the top of the table was looking under a bit of threat perhaps but they managed to get a stoppage time equalizer through Benjamin Sesko's penalty uh, and then the big match after that was Sturm Graz against Lask second against third uh, Sturm second only th- uh, three points behind uh, Salzburg going into the weekend they took the lead away from home uh, in the first uh, early on in the second half but then Lask staged a comeback and then a turnaround and they won 2-1 in the end so after all that uh, you know at the end of the Salzburg match there was lots of talk about uh, the tire race being blown open and stuff and then after all that Salzburg's lead has only widened uh, albeit just by a point so that was the drama in Austria a little less drama over in the championship but a, a big result uh, from the weekend in England as well. We know one of the promoted teams for next year. Uh, and Rafael's got something on that for us. Yeah. Um, there's been many um, exciting stories in the championship this season. Um, yeah, there's been a couple, uh, obviously, in the relegation zone, a couple teams getting deducted points. Of course, the mid, the mid-table um, fight going on, whether teams can creep into potential playoff contention, whether teams may even creep into relegation. But in terms of the story's goal, Vincent Company's Burnley has probably been the most captivating, to be honest. Um, this game in what has been a catalogue of games um, played throughout the season was another indication of the total dominance this season. Middlesbrough under Michael Carrick have been a side transformed, um, but when they met Vincent Company's Burnley, they were they basically froze. They, they they didn't know what to do. There wasn't there wasn't the attacking fluidity that we've seen um that has put Michael Carrick in good stead um this season. Company came into town and there was such a control, there was such a presence about the way they played. But when Chubo Aquam equalized from the spot to give Middlesbrough a chance to get back into the game and, and potentially see if they could take the lead, there was just an instant feeling of Okay, it's it's Burnley. We know what's gonna happen there, and they grabbed the winner. There was a feeling of, um, of of expectation. There was there was almost an inevitability about what was gonna happen then, um, as Connor Roberts scored. Um, but when you talk about teams that seem to yo-yo through the divisions, um, the Premier League and the Championship, the likes of Fulham, Norwich, Bournemouth, etc., who are either promoted or relegated before the season's even started, uh, there was a familiar feeling around this Burnley side, but not like this. No one expected them to be promoted with such ease. No one expected them to be promoted in such emphatic fashion. And they've only lost two games this season. They've scored 78 goals. They've they've only conceded 30, ranking first in the division on all of their metrics. Um, And with six games to play, there's an expectation that they'll reach 100 points. They'll probably exceed the record, which is 106, by um, Reading in the 05-06 season. And only three teams have actually reached 100 points in the championship. Um, it's a demonstration of their dominance. And apparently for me, are probably the most dominant squad, the most dominant side we've ever seen in the championship. If not, they're, they're definitely up there with the very best. Uh, and as company is a very highly regarded young manager in Europe. We saw what he did at Anderlecht and the work he did there. And then coming to Burnley, many believed he would change them drastically. They'll go from a... Uh, the pragmatic had to be style that they were on the Dutch and they were famed for to a to a more expansive side, to a more controlled side. And no one expected it to be this quick. No one expected it to be this smooth of a transition, but it has been. And the issue now for Burnley is that company was rated before he came to Burnley. He was being linked to jobs of a higher stature than Burnley in the Premier League. People knew about his potential. And now they've got confirmation of what he can do at a club he will be a very wanted man. We've already seen his name being linked to the Tottenham job. I even saw links to the Chelsea job. Even West Ham were looking at Vincent Company's availability, even if their Premier League safety is at a tilt right now. And there will be a lot of jobs that might tempt Company to leave Burnley, even if he has reiterated the desire for him to do great things with Burnley in the Premier League. But the temptation is sometimes hard to resist. And I wonder what you think of it, Neil. Yeah, I mean, I think it... You know, given what he's done this season, I think it's certainly probably best for him 
and of course the club that he still and you know I think as you say Burnley have been super dominant in the championship they could very easily have the title wrapped up within the next couple of weeks uh, and and if you look at a how Fulham are doing in the Premier League this season having you know similarly dominated the championship last year and b how tight the relegation battle in the Premier League is only three teams are going to go down but it's almost a, an eight team cluster and okay a couple like West Ham and Leicester underperforming, maybe they if they stay up, they can sort themselves quickly. But still, there's at least three teams who from this battle who are going to stay up, but they'll still be of a similar caliber, similar level. I think Burnley are certainly better than that, uh, at least based based on what, what I, you can tell. So I think you know they should easily be able to stay up uh, with under the current circumstances that they've got. And I definitely think company would probably be best advised to stay put for a couple of years, of course. There's been talk about um, him as a potential Pep Guardiola successor at Manchester City. Of course, for that, you have to hang around for a couple of years. You, know, you can't really take a big job like and I guess, Chelsea. I guess that's where the the, the West Ham job, uh, the Tottenham job to a certain extent, it's almost a middle, it's a, almost a, a middling job. It's a stepping stone job to that Manchester City job. As he said, there's been a lot of talk about him succeeding Pep Guardiola at, at Manchester City. Pep signed the two-year extension last yeah. summer. If Pep does leave after that two-year extension, Vincent Company is going to have to do one hell of a job at Burnley to go from Burnley to Manchester City because the expectation at Manchester City is of no other. It really is win the league or you failed. So if he was to go to Tottenham, if he was to go to potentially West Ham where the expectation is a little bit higher than Burnley, you that could be the perfect stepping stone for him to get that Manchester City job. But we've seen it with Gerrard. We've seen it with Lampard. You take that job. If it's too big for you, you fail, your stock drastically drops to a point where it's almost impossible for you to get back into a position where you're that rated. Um, and Vincent Company has shown that he's a very smart, um, articulated manager, but he's also a very smart, articulated person and he knows how the game is. And he strikes me as someone that will stay at Burnley and that will take it game by game, will take, take it um, season by season and, and establish where he is, but establish himself as a game as his own manager. He doesn't want to be compared to others. Um, there was a question before he played um, the game just the game just gone um, yesterday. I forgot who they played, actually. I think uh, it was... Sheffield United, wasn't it? Sheffield United. Sheffield United, thank you. Sheffield United, and they asked him, Vincent, you, you, you've been on such a good... You've had such a good season. I'm obviously paraphrasing. You've had such a good season. You're on track to break the championship record. Um, they're comparing you with how Michael Silva's done, and Michael Silva's obviously been linked to the Chelsea job. But Vincent Company says he doesn't want to be compared to Michael Silva because Michael Silva's doing such a good job at Fulham. He doesn't have such expectations upon his Burnley side. So it really, it really does sway to sway. But as he said, listen, he's doing such a good job. You almost want to just you ju- you want to respect the job he's doing at Burnley and and let everything else um work it on its own really. Yeah, and I think as you said. You know, Guardiola signed a two-year extension last summer, so you know this season is just one year. And I fear if he takes a sort of a Tottenham-level job, you know, he may need a couple of seasons to sort things out. And if you've only got that one-year period, I think that is where that's the problem. And I think you know what he's done at Burnley. Of course, it's a different level, but you think about it like stylistically. Think about it in terms of the style of football he's playing, and of course, the fact that it's a different league. But Burnley have dominated the championship in a way that. Uh, City want to dominate the Premier League. So, if if you think about it that way, um, I I would say that of course it's it's it, maybe it's still too early to talk about him uh, succeeding Pep, but um, I I would say that he's heading in the right direction uh, even with Burnley. But yeah, of course that's one thing to watch. But you mentioned as well uh, the other stuff going on in the Championship. Uh, There's really exciting stuff at all ends of the table. Of course, two match days uh, over this weekend, as we said. So, I say let's check in. Uh, elsewhere too, uh, below Burnley, the Sheffield United, who lost to them uh, last night, uh, they are five points clear of Luton Town in third place. So and they do have a game in hand. So they are by far the favorites for that uh, second automatic promotion spot. Uh, but then there's there's a real battle for the playoffs because you've got fifth place Millwall to seventh place Preston North End with Blackburn Rose in the middle, all level on points, and uh, North City behind them are only one point behind them. And West Brom Albion, if they win their game in hand, they'll be just a couple of points behind them. So that race is looking really exciting. And of course, down at the bottom, uh, as you said, there's been points reductions for Reading, which we previously discussed. 
they uh, lost uh, to Preston North End, uh, I think last night on Monday. And that's seen them slip into the relegation zone with their points deductions, uh, six points in total. Uh, and they've sacked manager Collins on the back of that. Uh, but uh, from them on 41 points to 19th place Huddersfield Town is just a couple of points. And we've got QPR and Cardiff uh, in the mix there. So that's a huge battle to watch out for as well. And of course, we've spoken about, uh, you especially, Rafa, have spoken about QPR a fair bit before. It's not looking good for them, at least if you look at the form table. So uh, that, that's, that's something to keep uh, an eye out on. But elsewhere, speaking of relegation battles, we've got uh, something for us in the Netherlands where uh, FC Groningen look in real, real trouble. We've spoken about them before as well, mostly not, not really for performances, but because their fans interrupted a couple of games uh, with uh, you know storming the pitch once, uh, attacking one of their own players once, one of the fans, of course, that was. Um, and now they've lost... I mean, you know, it's, it's not a great atmosphere to say the least. Now they lost five league games on the spin. And they are down in 17th spot, which is a direct relegation spot, and are eight points from safety and seven points from the playoffs, uh, playoff spot. And there's only six rounds of fixtures left. So they really need to get their act together if they are to stay up. They are. They did have some tougher fixtures. They had the likes of Feyenoord and AZ and Utrecht in those last five games. But uh, now they, they really do need to uh, win their next couple of games if they are to uh, you know, be in contention to stay up. And they do have a really talented squad, I think. There's some, some really good players in there. They signed Oliver Antoine from uh, Cernodjelon uh, in the summer. There's, there's some attacks up front, like, of course, Ricardo Pepe, the American international. Uh, Florian Kruger from Armenia Bielefeld. So it, it, is, it is a pretty decent score. I think it's one that definitely... On paper, you think would stay up in the Eredivisie, but uh, they're looking in real trouble. Um, over in Romania, we've spoken a fair bit about Farul Constanza previously, and their story certainly one to watch. Of course, Gheorghe Haji trying to lead them to their first ever title under their name, and it's a big weekend for them. A comeback win over Universite Tarea Craiova helped them. Uh, establish a four-point lead at the top in the relegation group now because uh, Jeffrey Cluj only could manage a draw with uh, Fetche Sebe. So, it, it, they're in a good position now. Of course, still a fair way to go. Uh, still about seven or fixtures left in that group. But if they do pull it off, it will be an unbelievable story. Um, and then quickly, let's, let's go over to MLS. I just wanted to mention... LA Galaxy losing yet again. They're still winless all season. They lost 3-0 to Houston Dynamo uh, this weekend. Uh, and th- there's uh, a real story brewing there because there's some serious fine protests going on against the president, Chris Klein, primarily, uh, who, who, who's, who, well, recently, in, in the most recent transfer window, was suspended because he, among others, was found guilty. Uh, if, as LA Galaxy were investigated for f- breaking financial rules in 2019, and one would think after such a verdict, the club would you know, cut ties with him, but no, they should give him a contract extension, and he's staying on for longer, uh, and well, the, the, the Galaxy, as you see, they're winless uh, all season now, they made the playoffs, I think, once in the last five seasons, which is their worst ever run uh, since the beginning of the MLS in the 1996, uh, and that they have five major different fan groups and all of them are united in protesting against this guy. So that, that should tell you about, you know, his popularity out there. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's if, as, you, it, as you know, it's one of the most historic and biggest clubs in America, in, in MLS certainly. So it's definitely something to watch. And meanwhile, uh, they're the city rivals LAFC having a great time. Uh, of course, they're the defending champions uh, and their uh, forward Denny Buanga in particular has been really shining over the last couple of weeks. He scored a hat-trick uh, in uh, the, the Champions League recently. Uh, he scored a brace in midweek against the Vancouver Whitecaps in the Champions League. And he scored a hat-trick this weekend against Austin FC to get them the win over there. So they're looking great just, once again. Neil, just to go back on that LA Galaxy story, um, mm-hmm. you said 2019, right? Yeah. 2019 is is what they're specifically investigating. Is that what yeah. the, that year? 
2019 was the year they signed Zlatan, wasn't it? Ooh, was it? I'm pretty sure they went pre-all out for Zlatan that year. And, and they also invested in their squad. I think they signed Alessandrini as well that I, year. If I remember correctly, it was mm-hmm. uh, specifically uh, some salary cap breaches. I, I'll quickly mm-hmm. check that. But yeah, yeah, they were sanctioned for uh, violating salary budget and roster guidelines during the yep. 2019 season. So yeah. And, and, and Which it, could it was, be playing uh, to... But then Zlatan, I think Zlatan went 2018, actually. Let, let me have a quick check on that. But he might win like, the season before. It, it says there, uh, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I still not 100% got my head around All the right. MLS uh, financial rules because I know there's yeah. general allocation money, I know there's target allocation money, and I know oh, okay. there's designated players, uh, and I'm a bit confused, to be honest. But this does say that... Uh, there, there was an improper classification of uh, a winger, Christian Pavon, uh, whose, oh, okay. whose salary exceeded the target allocation money limit or something. But mm-hmm. uh, he, So he should have been a designated player, but he was not. And that yeah. was the breach. So it wasn't Zlatan. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so some financial reason. But yeah, on Zlatan, yeah, he did join in 2018 and left in yeah. 2019. So yeah, but... I just wanted to quickly just check because it, it wouldn't surprise me if it had something to do with him, but uh, uh, seemingly not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's go on then next to Scotland, where we had the big old firm derby once again uh, this weekend. We're starting to see a sort of a pattern in the results once again. So you can guess who won. What have you got on that, Raphael? Yeah, um, to put into perspective how many times Celtic play Rangers, um, when I turned on my um, TV on Saturday morning and I saw Celtic were playing Rangers, I thought it was a highlight package. So when I checked the game and to see uh, a disallowed goal, I was like, all right, this is quite interesting. And you check, you check uh, football, you check the app, and you check what the, what the game's been like for the first 15 minutes. And then you go, all right, this is an actual game. Okay. Because it feels like they play every odd week, despite them being the two best sides in the country and how dominant they have been for the past few decades. You know, as a football fan, as a neutral, you're not used to seeing the the best sides play as regularly as Celtic and Rangers do. But it kind of makes sense considering the way the league is um, um uh, done, and of course the cup um, games and whatnot. So I'm not too surprised with it, but. Out of all the games they've played this season, this is probably the best game. Um, the scoreline actually flatters the quality of the general play. Um, but both these sides were pretty clinical on the day. Um, as I um, touched on earlier, um, there was two disallowed goals um, for Celtic and Rangers um, before they actually scored. And I talk about companies Burnley, um, and I talked about how they were the best side I've seen in the championship and that might sound some hyperbole to, to, to listeners, but I'll go even further with this statement. I think Ange Postacoglu Celtic are one of the most entertaining sides I've seen in modern British football. I really do believe that. I, I believe the way they play is incredible to watch. Um, Not just this game, but you've watched them all season. Neutrals brush aside, they're dominant in the S- SPFL and talk about how easy that get, that that league is to win and whatnot. Uh, but you watch them in Europe in the Champions League against the likes of Real Madrid and Leipzig. They hold their own. They play they play good stuff. They really don't um, deviate for their principles. The the double inverting fullbacks, the control of the ball, the ability to hurt teams out wide uh, with Jota, with Meda, uh, Kyogo, uh, the way to hurt teams inside through midfield with Matt O'Reilly getting his foot on the ball and often dictating everything that's good within that side. Like, they really are just a, a joy to watch. And it might sound so, like hyperbole, and it, it might be hyperbole, and that's understandable. But I genuinely do believe there's not enough um, praise on how good this Celtic side are to watch by the outsiders of Scottish football. And I think it's just good to always praise how good they are to watch because Angie's doing some brilliant things. And I talk about how um, rated company is within the game. Angie's very much rated. He was on Brighton's list to replace 
Potter before they got um eventually went with De Zerbi. He's been on he's been tired for many jobs in the Premier League. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him move on in the near future as well, because he really is a brilliant manager and the things he's done, not just in Scotland, but also in Japan. And I think he, he needs to he needs to get his credit there. But um Celtic took the lead from Kyogre, as I mentioned. He has twenty two goals this season and he actually saw a. Uh, 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 an article saying he's on a list on the European Golden Shoe. Now, of course, the European Golden Shoe is um, tilted to you get points. Your goals accumulate points and Haaland's top of that list, of course, with 60 points and Kyogi only has something like 34. So, I don't think he's going to win the European Golden Shoe, but it's, it's always it's always good to see um, someone from the Scottish League be on such an illustrious list with the likes of Victor Osimhen and Harry Kane. So, that was quite a uh, fantasy. But, uh, Rangers equalised from a, a beautiful free kick from James Tavernier. Um, it was his second goal. His second goal of the game actually made it his hundred for the club. Um, but I've actually got a question for you, Neil. How many goals has James Tavernier scored this season? Hmm. I know he scored a lot because he, he's uh, he scored. I'm guessing this is in the league, yeah. I'm guessing yeah. he scored at least four free kicks. Yeah. He he takes penalties. So he's, mm-hmm. I guess he's got at least five of those, and we'll sprinkle in a couple from open play. So I'll go eleven. No, he he scored fifteen. Oh wow, fifteen goals. Wow. Yeah, as you said, he's on um penalties, he's on um set pieces. So he's got fifteen goals and and six assists in the league this season. Um, yeah, he's. It's important to remember, James Tavernier is a right back, like. <laughs> To score 100 goals for any football club is incredible, but to be a right back and do it is phenomenal to watch. So it's important to to almost kind of um yes, he's on pens, yes, he's on set pieces, but it's still an incredible record to hold. 100 goals for Rangers from right back is incredible. So his technical ability um is always is always been on show, and it was on show again in this game. Um, regardless, um Celtic got through in the end. Um, Jota and Kyogre combined to score their second and third. And uh, it leaves Rangers 12 points behind Celtic. The league is pretty much wrapped up um, before the split. Um, and yeah, you, you'd expect Celtic to go on comfortably winning in, fa- in, in comfortable fashion as per usual. And it should be a more exciting title race next season when Mick Beal getting a full preseason with Rangers. He only came in midway through this season. And of course, Ange is going to be looking to win three in a row. Um, like Brendan Rodgers did all them years ago. So it should be a much interesting title race this year uh, because the last few have been kind of walkovers for Rangers and for Celtic. Yeah, well, I, I just got to put up the breakdown of his goals in the league. He's got eight penalties, six uh, free kicks, and just one from open play. So yeah, I mean, free kick-wise especially, yeah, he's an absolute joy to watch because... The way he takes them, it's, it's really, really incredible. I mean, six wickets in the league, says a lot. And yeah, as you say, great player, but yeah, title is very much in Celtic's hands. Anyway, let's move on. Let's stick uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, quick mention in the Premier League for Frank Lampard, who, of course, is back at Chelsea, uh, and he's lost again. Uh, this time, they have been defeated by Wolverhampton Wanderers, 1-0 at Molyneux. A bad start to Lampard's tenure, and he's now got midweek Champions League games to look ahead to. So we'll quickly touch on that at the end. Um, elsewhere, over in, in the top five leagues in Italy, we had a last-minute winner for Cremonese, who of course needed till was it February to get their first league win of the season. Uh, but even then, they're not last anymore because their last-minute winner over second-last Sampdoria uh, now puts them above their opponents uh, and into 19th place. But both of them are most likely going down. Because the gap to safety is pretty big over double-digit figures. So, they should be down. Hellas Verona might have a chance uh, if they can wake, notch up a couple of wins uh, soon. Then, over in uh, the Bundesliga, both Dortmund and Bayern won the tough fixtures against Union Berlin and Freiburg, respectively. So, their gap at the top remains a couple of points. And at the bottom, the relegation battle, which was super, super close a couple of weeks back with a bunch of teams within uh, you know a couple of points of each other is slowly starting to widen now. We had big wins uh, for Hoffenheim and Stuttgart. Hoffenheim are almost out of the battle now. Uh, they are five points from the 
the playoff spot and they have won the last three league games on this win. So, if you look at form, you should expect them to maybe pull away. But then Stuttgart's win was huge because they were bottom uh, starting the weekend and now they're in the playoff spot. So, it's one point between uh, Stuttgart and Hertha and one between them and Schalke and Bochum are three points clear of Stuttgart but they might still get sucked in. So, definitely still a very close battle. There may be one team sort of pulling away. Um, then over in Spain, we had a huge result in the relegation battle. We had Almeria beating Valencia and dropping Valencia into the relegations of the two sides with level out points heading into the fixture. But this uh, crucial result for uh, Almeria pulls them out uh, of the drop zone. There's, uh, of course, uh, still only 16th. Uh, elsewhere, we had some managerial debuts. Uh, we had Real Valladolid. Uh, with a 3-3 draw against Mallorca, super entertaining match. They went 2-0 down in the second half, went 3-2 up with an with what they thought was an 86-minute winner, but then a stoppage time penalty from Vedak Murici, who's the fourth joint fourth top scorer in La Liga now, uh, ending making that match and 3-3. That was Paolo Pezzolano's first match in charge of Real Valladolid. He is, of course, been brought in to presumably uh, steer them to safety. They're 17th right now, a couple of points above the drop zone. Uh, his, his last job was uh, over in uh, Brazil, uh, where he he brought the... Oh, I, I, I forget who it was. Was it Grêmio or was it... Uh, let, let me quickly check. Or was it Bahia? But either way, uh, he... Oh, it was Cruzeiro, of course. Yeah. Uh, he was in charge of Cruzeiro last season, uh, won them uh, Serie B, got them promotion to Serie A. It was Cruzeiro, owned by R9 Ronaldo. Uh, and Real Valladolid are also, you know, he has a majority stake here as well. So that's the connection you'd expect that got him this job. Uh, and let's see if he can steer them to safety. His, their performance overall was, I think, something they should have taken heart from. So perhaps he is the right man for that job. Uh, and, and over uh, elsewhere, a 19th place Espanyol also had a managerial debut. They were against Athletic Club, ended up at home, but ended up losing 2-1. But it was the first match for Luis Garcia. Let's see if he can pull them out. They are a couple of points from safety. So that should be one to watch as well. Uh, and then let's go to Wales then, where the biggest story of the weekend was not Wrexham. It was Airbus UK Broughton finally ending uh, um, almost 15 match losing streak, I think, with a 1-1 draw, which would uh, was look they were looking on course for a win really but they conceded an 86 minute penalty and had they won their points tally would for the first time in the season have come in the positives they had a three point deduction uh, at the start of the season for fielding an ineligible player in the regular league they could only manage one draw and lost all their other games all the 21 other games uh, and over here in in the relegation group where they're already relegated they're already gone they 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 lost their first uh, what was it the first seven games but this one they drew one one so their current point tally is minus one two games left in the season can they end on at least zero points we'll see and of course the other stuff in Wales perhaps a little bit more dramatic than the Airbus UK Broughton match was of course over at the racecourse ground in Wrexham what happened there Raphael. Yeah, um, a little bit more Hollywood than uh, Airbus, but uh, Wrexham, it, Wrexham, of course, have this Hollywood feel about them. They've got Hollywood owners, um, but without them owners, I, I, I do still feel like there's something, um, there's something really cinematic about their story, about their promotion push. It's been quite special to watch, to be honest. And this game was another game in what has been many games where you where you watch a Wrexham where they're televised. And you watch the games and you go, wow, that is a club playing in the National League. And it generally, it generally, the feel around the club, everything around their games is, is quite something. And it makes you want to watch more of them. Um, when Ben Foster returned to the club a couple of weeks ago, um, it was something that I don't even think the best script writers in the world could have imagined. And then he saves that penalty. And then that makes the script, the, the, the script even more unimaginable. It was like a footballing dream to have for Ben Foster to be at the club for a couple of weeks. He, he only has a contract until the end of the season. And then from there, it, it, it's it's probably going to be cut ties because he's four years old. It's important to remember Ben Foster retired from football 
um, back in September. He wasn't meant to be in this position to be uh, playing 19 minutes for a club pushing for promotion back into the Football League. But here he is. And to have such a direct impact at such an age, at such a time, is it, quite something, really. And it's been 15 years since Wrexham were last in the Football League. Um, and this promotion, and with the way promotion is in, um, in the National League, only one club goes up. So when you look at Wrexham on 100 points going into the game, Nos County on 100 points going into the game, it really is as big as the six points it really gets, really. You've got the points tally can't even justify how close these guys have been this season. When one wins, another's winning. When one loses, another's probably losing because they really are inseparable um, this season. And this game was an indicator of the quality, but how close these teams are um, on and off the pitch. And um, Noskai took a, the lead from a wonderful free kick just before halftime. Um, the, the first half was, was, was quiet. It wasn't what the, um, the commentators were, dis were describing. They were all thinking of a bigger game, but it really was a quiet first half. It was quite close. Not, not many um, clear-cut chances, but it was close. But in the second half, that's when it, it all kind of just came out. Wrexham came out fighting. Paul Mullen, who has got 35 goals this season, he's not even the, the top goal scorer. In this in this division on the page, it's his opposition number, Macaulay Longstaff. He's got forty one goals. Uh, he scores literally just minutes after the break, um, and then he shows his quality again. He, he he receives a really nice ball um out in the channel, crosses it back in, and Wrexham take the lead. It's a really nice assist. Um, and North County, who are expected to be in this position because they've gradually climbed up the division in recent years. I've been pretty much surprised made for much of this title race because all the all the um attention Wrexham get from the media has put them into such a platform where anyone else who's playing Wrexham is pretty much irrelevant to them. But Notts County, who are very close there, as I said, they are very close in this title race. It really, really does it does separate them by uh, by by goal difference and they've been very much they've taken a back seat in this title race and they've quietly been doing their thing and but on the pitch they really much are close to Wrexham and when they equalized there was no surprise because they were pushing and uh but what Wrexham do they're often reliant on the crowd they're often reliant on their fans their home fans they really are when they're in it they really are the 12th man um in that in them games and when Elliot Lee scored just minutes later the the place practically erupted. It, it was a goal of such importance, and you could see it from the fans, from the from the players, from the the, the coaching staff, and it, it puts more eyes on this ever growing title race. And it's undoubtedly will be settled on the final day because of how close these teams are. Wrexham are top of the league now, um, with by three points, and I think they've got a game in hand. But it will outdoubtedly be settled on the final day because they'll outdoubtedly be locking horns until until the final day, and the, there's a couple more games, and you really can't see them dropping any any points between now and the end of the the end of the season. And if it does go to the final day, and if it is Wrexham who do go up, I think everyone will say they deserved it because last season they were put through. The, the heartache and the emotion that is a playoffs after finishing second to Stockport. Um, but if it is not kind of go up, I think everyone will be, um, in a way, very happy to see that because the whole Hollywood feel about Wrexham, not County are the longest serving, uh, well, they were the longest serving um, club in the Football League, I believe. And now being back in the National League, it's been a real story for them to get back into the Football League. And if they do get back, it'll be quite something to watch. So all I can say is everyone should be following this because out of all the title races in Europe, it's probably this one that has been the most unexpected, but yes, um, exciting of them all, really. Yeah, and of course, as you said, Notts County, such a historic club as well. The oldest professional football club in the world, founded in 1862. And... Yeah, there's that, that, lots of talk about this this whole title race and um the, the two sides in it. Of course, as you say, Rexham, all the Hollywood stuff and the, the, the you know, the detractors would say that 
to the, the amount of investment they've made uh, is absolutely unprecedented for this level. And of course, as I said, bringing the likes of Ben Foster, for example, a retired Premier League goalkeeper uh, to, to your team is something that no one else can afford. Um, and, and then on the other hand, you've got Notts County who are you know competing with a more normal budget, so to say, and they're playing some very, very good football, I should add. Playing some amazing football. If you look at their other games too. And it's it's really interesting. But at the same time, you know, the counter-argument to that is because the, the people who say, who talk about Rexham's investment and stuff say that, you know, it's not really a fairy tale as people are portraying it and stuff. But I think the counter-argument to it is ultimately, it's, it's, and I think I saw someone tweet this uh, earlier today, is ultimately it's, it's, it's a sort of a story about two Hollywood superstars who, you know, who have who've got so much money that they, they can basically do whatever they want. But, but they're coming here to the fifth tier of the English pyramid and <laughs> look at them. I mean, they're, 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 they're so invested and, uh, you know, as you see with, the, uh, of course, their season stuff, they, they do get it, so to say, right? Because, uh, you know, there's lots of talk about owners right now in the world of football and, you know, at the top level, there's loads of dodgy stuff going on. But at least on the outside, you look at these guys, they get what the game is about. They get what it's all about. They get it's about, as much as it's about the game, it's about the community, it's about the people, it's about the the city yeah. you're in. And they do understand that. And I think, end of the day, it's fair enough. I think that that's a beautiful story in itself. Uh, for that, uh, you know, that they went on this journey. Uh, and, and you know, if it, if it does end up in promotion, then fair enough. And as you say, if not scouting, get promoted, that's a beautiful story as well. But... I think everyone wants both of these sides to get promoted. Playoffs, of course, uh, add a bit of a twist there, but I think, you know, if, if they even whoever goes in the playoffs, even if they play at 80% capacity, they should be able to get past whoever uh, stands in their pass. But yeah, as you say, definitely a big, big title race to keep an eye out on. Uh, you're 100% spot on, you, to be honest. You're, you're 100% spot on, especially on the ownership um, angle of it, because... Yes, Wrexham are owned by these Hollywood stars who have such a, a reputation in, in the world of um, of acting and just the world in, in, in general. Um, but with all the dis- with all the discourse about state-owned clubs such as Newcastle, such as Manchester City, such as Paris Saint-Germain and even potentially Manchester United and all the, the, the discussion that comes about that and how um, ethically moral is it, Wrexham are doing it the right way. They're doing it the quote-unquote right way. You know, the whole, um, you talk about the community angle of it. You talk about um, bringing in the fans, making it a, a home club, making it a, a, a friendly club. Not just a club that is close to people of Wrexham, but people who want to get into football, people who want to be interested in the game, who want to understand not just the, the glam of the game, not just the, the pinnacle of football, which is Champions League, which is the Premier League, but also the fifth tier of English football and of, uh, as I said, emotion, the ha- a heartache of it. And I haven't seen the documentary they did on um on, on Apple TV, I think it was. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I haven't seen it, but all the discussion that's come out of that is that it wasn't your typical all or nothing documentary. It really was a, a documentary, not just to engage fans, but to really make fans feel like they're part of it, the part of the journey. And this is a journey. This isn't um, this isn't just throw money in it. This is the goal. We have to get to this position. They really are taking it game by game, and they really are going to take it season by season, league by league. And I, I've got to commend um, Wrexham's owners and everyone involved in the club because I saw the um, the CEO talking before the game and how he was talking about even they didn't expect it to be this quick and to be this big and to be this um, large of a, of a talking point. But they also really are just trying to steady the boat and really try to enjoy it. And uh, I think that's the, 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 the most important thing of it, or just enjoy um, how Wrexham are, because this is a club that's been through it all. You know, 15 years out of the English Football League and potentially they're going to be back in it. So um, you've got to really just give um, all comment to them and what they're doing over there. Yeah, and uh, on the point of the series, I actually hadn't watched it when it came out. I was a bit sceptical, really. I was, you know, I, I thought it's either going to be uh, too much sort of Hollywood-like 
like it, it would be too much of a hollywood type series where you, you wouldn't really you know get the, the football aspect of it or it would be too much all or nothing like but yeah i i, I think i end up watching it around the time of their fa cup run against sheffield united i think around that time and yeah it was it was absolutely amazing because as, as i said i think you know that showed me that those people got it you know whatever the the it we say and as you say you're absolutely right you this this story shows what what football is all about and i think especially you know for our podcast that what we're trying to do is we're not just trying to talk about the top levels but trying to talk about the game all over the world in all sorts of places and this is a great story which shows how much it can mean to the fifth tier of the english premier i mean if 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 you think about it it's just so absurd that these there's these you know millionaire hollywood superstar actors coming into some random place in wales every other week and you know they're going on an absolute emotional roller coaster they're, they're completely off the cliff and like what on earth are they doing and they're losing millions of dollars while they're at it and, and they're still ultimately having time of their lives so it's it's crazy but that's 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 what the game's about so yeah they they um they when you're talking about the Sheffield United game and that's a really good um it, it was because um they drew the first game and they had to go into the second game it almost felt like a two-legged tie yeah. it was it was it was an FA Cup it was one of the honestly one of the best games you will watch um one of the best I don't want to say tie but really one of the best two sets of games you will watch between two teams it really was incredible to watch and they um they Ryan Reynolds says something to ESPN or, or his wife says something to ESPN about uh, Ryan Reynolds and he says when he's watching the games at home he can barely watch. He really is an emotional wreck. And when he's in the stadium, he's you're only getting 10% of what he's like at home. And in the stadium, you're, the, the cameras will often pan to Ryan Reynolds and he will be in, a, he'll be in an emotional state, a state of, of sometimes disbelief. Sometimes he's just, he just can't even watch the game. And his wife said, that's only 10% of what you're seeing, what he's like at home, which I just find, I think that's the reality thing. Everyone's, everyone wants to just feel like these guys are not just here for an, a goal, not just here for an ambition, but they're also here to enjoy it. They're also here to really be part of it. Like I said, whatever it is, they are getting it. You know, they really are understanding how it is. And, and that is the that is the reality of it. And I think that's what people like because it does feel real. It does feel real. Sometimes they stay, you look at Manchester City, you look at Newcastle, sometimes it feels almost fake. It feels almost video game, like how they've been Manchester City, who can go from um, being in the football league and, and, and Man City uh, have done such a great journey, but how they can be in the football league and go from 2008, almost just middling to where they're in a position where they'll have games in the season where they lose 8-2 to Middlesbrough, to now in a position where they are regarded as arguably the best team in world football, with the best coach in world football, with all this money. And Newcastle, a side who last year were, had Steve Bruce in charge and were in a relegation charge, were in a relegation battle, and now contending for Champions League football. It's it's video game-like. Whereas with Wrexham, it does feel real. And it does feel... It feels nice, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess we should... Uh, then move on now then to, to the other stuff all around the world. Uh, let's next check in to the lower tier over in Italy. We had a couple of round of, uh, rounds of fixtures uh, in uh, Serie B as well. Uh, and yep, loads of drama at either end of the table uh, uh, down there too. At the top, Frosinone seem to have the title mostly in their hands. Uh, they, they should, should you know they should secure promotion soon enough. They have a six point lead from second place Genoa. Uh, Genoa themselves have four points over third place Bari, who beat Sutirol right below them, uh, to sort of establish a, a strong position uh, up in third. And of course, it's important to remember the the interesting uh, playoff format in Serie B. You've you've got a maximum of six teams going into it, so. The third, fourth, fifth, and sixth sides are guaranteed to go through. But then, if the seventh and eighth teams are within 10 points of the team in third, they are also through to the playoffs. So then you'll have four, three, eight. Uh, sorry, you'll have fifth versus eighth, sixth versus seventh, and the winners of those playing against third and fourth sides for the semifinals. I hope that made sense. Uh, so basically, right now, the situation is that third place Bari are on 56 points, 
and eighth place Pisa are on 46 points. So it's exactly 10 points. So if Pisa drop any further, then the side in fifth place uh, in fourth fifth place sorry will also get a direct passage to the semi-final. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye out on. That gap there. Uh, but then down at the bottom, what a relegation battle we have. Uh, we've got uh, in, in the drop zone, we had a huge match uh, this weekend. We had Spal against Benevento. And Spal ended up winning that one. Uh, after, uh, I think it was 2-1 in the end. 3-1, uh, sorry. They're still in the relegation zone, but Benevento dropped a loss. Spal 18th, uh, just two points from the playoff spots. And within the playoff spot, 16th place Cosenza, level on points with Cittadella and Venezia, right above them. So it's it's super close. Uh, at all places, of course, Venezia only relegated last season. Benevento looking in a really tough spot now. They were in Serie A in 2020-21, relegated from there. Uh, that season, last season they made the playoffs in Serie B, uh, fell short in the end. Now they're looking set to directly go down to Serie B. They have a three-point gap to the so you have five point gap to the playoffs. So they need to turn things around really quickly. Six rounds of fixtures left in Serie B. Um, elsewhere, last weekend we spoke about Nordzilon against Copenhagen uh, in the Danish Superliga title race and how Copenhagen's win might mean that they run away with it. But well, Nordzilon are back on top. Uh, Copenhagen lost to Rondes uh, 1-0 uh, this, this weekend. And then Nordzilon beat Brunby 2-1. They're back on top with a one-point lead. Uh, and uh, I, I still reckon Copenhagen are the favourites for the title race because they will face Nautilon yet again soon enough on the 26th of April. Um, but uh, it, 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 it's, it's still very much a title race, I guess. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, over in uh, Norway, staying in Scandinavia, we had Elite Serie at kickoff for 2023. Exciting stuff, exciting stories to follow here. We had newly promoted Bran, who won the second division last season, with I think just one or two defeats all season, uh, beating Haugesund 3-0 to get up to a great start uh, back in the top flight. We had defending champions Mölde losing to Tromsø 1-0. A uh, bit of a surprise result there. Uh, but a glimpse getting the win for themselves. Uh, and uh, another big match was Rosenborg beating uh, Viking 1-0. Of course, a long way to go in that season, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, soon enough later. Um, then let's go over to Argentina quickly, where Boca Juniors are having a tough old time uh, at the start of their new season. They lost to a uh, rather struggling Colon side 2-1 this weekend. Colon, who uh, only had, uh, well, sorry, they, they were winless all season in nine games, with uh, six draws and three losses. But they managed to get their first win of the season against the defending champions, Boca Juniors, who... Uh, have now sacked manager, uh, their previous manager rather, Hugo Ibarra, who was of course only brought in, uh, in, in the middle of last season. Uh, he's he he'd been sacked before, and they have now appointed his uh, his successor, uh, and that is Jorge Almiron. So we will we'll keep an eye out on them, and let's see if a managerial change mid-season lands them the title once again, but. I say this time, River Plate looking quite strong. Last season, they were struggling. This season, they are not Martin. Uh, Demichelis has, has them playing some good football. They're four points clear at the top already. With 10, 10 rounds of fixtures played. Uh, and so, Boca are far, far behind them. They're 10 points behind them, in fact. So, let's see let's see what they can do. Uh, but speaking of um, uh, managerial uh, changes, we also had some talk about the Leicester City uh, job we had Jesse Marsh linked initially it appears he won't be going there and now the talk is about Rafael Benitez possibly taking over uh, at Leicester that could be an interesting one we'll perhaps discuss that a bit later if that materializes Actually, Neil, um, it's been announced Dean Smith Ooh, yeah, wow. Dean Smith. yeah he's taking over so he's been announced uh, today uh, that he'll be taking over to the rest of the season I believe um, John Terry joins as assistant manager and things like that. But yeah, Dean Smith for the rest of the season. Interesting, interesting appointment. Uh, well, let's see if he can steer them to safety. I guess I missed that. Uh, but uh, yeah, should 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 be. It seems it seemed like an appointment based off um experience because obviously, as you said, they were linked to Rafa, yeah. they were linked to Jesse Marsh, um, they were actually even linked to Hasuhu as well. They were linked to managers who have experience of getting sides. Um, in similar um, expectation of Leicester 
out of the relegation battle and, and kind of just putting them in good stead. Um, I said this, I think, I think it was the last episode I, I said it on, uh, that I just want Leicester to just get out of the relegation zone, keep safe for the rest of the season, and re- have a total reset in the summer. And I think that's the approach they're going to take. Just get someone that can keep you safe um, for this season, and then have a total reset in the summer, get a new manager and uh, fresh ideas, of course, and, and just uh, go from there, really. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, let's see how it goes. Really close to relegation battle in the Premier League, of course. Another uh, uh, new appointment we had was uh, in the Netherlands. Ajax uh, finally appointing a new technical director. Uh, Sven Mislintar taking over. This is interesting appointment. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. When we're speaking about Ajax's struggles, when uh, Alfred Schroed was sacked, we had uh, Karante Joani on for a special episode. And he spoke about how this was a very important aspect uh, of, of of their administration uh, administration and perhaps one of the reasons they had a, a, a not very ideal summer uh, to say the least because they did bring in a fair bit of money but they also spent a lot and they, they didn't really look the same side on the other side of it so it, it was important for them to get a new uh, sporting director they were linked with a fair few including I think Julian Ward if I'm not mistaken they were reportedly trying to get him in but uh, not quite, but they have now got in uh, Mislintat. His last job was at VfB Stuttgart, uh, with whom he worked for, uh, I think, the last three years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, till 2022. So He's been inspired he's with his time at Arsenal. You know, mm-hmm. when you mention Sven Mislintat, uh, you, you get people come back with you with, oh, he signed Lichtensteiner, Socrates, oh, yeah. Arsenal. Uh, what, what his time at Arsenal has almost kind of dictated his his career so far. But I think people need to remember this is the guy that did so well at Dortmund and, yeah. and got him all, all the gems that he got at Dortmund. He, he got that Arsenal job because he secured the likes of Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang at Dortmund to get in the position at Arsenal. Even when he was at Arsenal, I'm pretty sure he was the guy that got Matteo Guendouzi, who. Of course, with all the um, mental uh, weaknesses he has as a player, technically, Mateo Guendouzi is really a really talented player. And he he's a really talented guy. And I think he will do good things at Ajax. And as you said, they were linked to Julian Ward. They were also linked um, to, I believe, the former Liverpool um, sporting director. I forgot his name. Michael, is it Michael Edwards? Yeah, Michael Edwards. Yeah. Michael Edwards, they were also linked to him, but of course he was to take a break out. And of course, I think he believes he wants to come back to England and to take potentially take a job there. So as you said, this is a really important role in Ajax. This is a really important role in how they run as a club. And to replace Mark Overmars as a um as a as a as a sporting director, as a as as someone who can help you identify talent but also bring in talent, it's gonna be really hard. But Sven Mislintat is a, is a really good person to bring in and I'm sure he would do some good things at the club. Yeah, of course, we should mention that the whole issue stemmed from the all the old mass controversy was removed from the club for you know, inappropriate messages to uh, various uh, women employees uh, and but he's since then got a job at Royal Antwerp anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, we've got, of course, Mislintat coming in after about Six odd months, if I'm not well, more than six months. That was, I think, almost a year, wasn't it? That was during Eric Ten Hag's time at the club. Yeah, a, a fair bit of time has passed. Um, and and yeah, let's see how that goes. Uh, but well, I see Rafael, you've also added a bit in this recently. Uh, some news from where is it? France, Spain. Some news on the well, it's, it's Spain, really. It's so um yeah. I just wanted to add this in. I, I don't I, I don't think many are gonna take um quite notice to it, and but I just found it very interesting myself. Um. So, what I saw, it just broke a couple hours ago, actually. Ben Yedda has been handed a six-month jail term um, and bumper fine for tax evasion um, during his time in Sevilla. Of course, it's important to, to remember, it's important to state that this jail time has been suspended, so I don't think we'll actually serve it. Um, but he's been fined 133,000 euros by the Spanish court um, to, um, on Tuesday, today. And yeah, it was during his time at Sevilla, um, where he was there for three seasons, um, coming from Toulouse. And uh, yeah, it was. Just, it's it's interesting because 
Sp- Spanish football has uh, an issue with players and, and, and taxes. And it's not something I really delve too much into, but it's something I always find interesting when it pops up because uh, I'm reading through the report. Yeah, it says uh, Benyard is failed to submit an income tax return on time and has consistently falsified a state uh, a self assessment by not declaring interest as he received an income in free accounts. And you read through, and it's really interesting stuff. Um, of course, he's now at Monaco, which, funny enough, is a place where many people go to because well, they don't actually yeah. have to. Yeah, they don't. Tax is not an issue to people who live in Monaco. So I thought that was very interesting and very timely. Um, yeah. Yeah, like he's, he's not done that newspapers. I'm going to Monaco. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just once, once, it, once he got, they were onto him. I think he just he just flew to Monaco and said, "This is it. I'm signing at Monaco. No one can stop me." But yeah, it's just something that um I think Spanish football is still yet to get a hold of, and it really it really does put a spy on Spanish football. Really, you know, the, all these players are always getting in, in taxes. We know Neymar, and Messi have have been in in the headlines for it, so. Yeah, I just think it's something to just um stay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it. That's what we got today. Um, of course, we're looking ahead to midweek. We've got all the big UEFA competitions, uh, Champions League quarterfinals starting in well, just about half an hour as we wrap up this recording. Uh, and of course, we've got the CONCACAF Champions League as well. Second legs of uh, those quarterfinals. Quarterfinals? Yep, yeah, quarterfinals uh, over there. So, uh, some interesting continental uh, action to look ahead to. A couple of cup fixtures here and there as well. A round of Argentine league fixtures uh, and, and some uh, Serbian uh, top flight fixtures to uh, keep an eye out on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I suppose we will we will watch for all of that. And then we'll be back, as usual, on Friday to recap all the action that, and more importantly, look ahead to the weekend, which should be, once again, very exciting. So, thank you very much for listening. A big thank you to you, Rafael, for joining me on this episode. Uh, and, and yeah, see you on Friday on Patreon if you can join us or, or next Monday uh, for the weekend's recap. So take care. Goodbye.